Good morning. It's so good to see you all. It's good to be here this morning with you. Thank you for being here to all of our members and our visitors. We're so glad to have you. Thank you for being here and thank you to everyone online for joining us uh, this morning in worship. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. We appreciate uh, you and value you so much and all that you mean to not only your families and this church, but to this community and to this country and to this world. We value fathers. You know, just like mothers, fathers are critical to the well-being of families and, and communities and churches and our nation, aren't they? And so we want you to know that fathers, we recognize you, we honor you, and you are valuable in what you're doing. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that, does it? Sometimes you, you don't see it. Uh, but you are making a difference. And so we, we want you to know that this church encourages you and supports you and believes in uh, fathers, husbands, being a strong spiritual leader in your home. And you need to do that. We encourage you to be that. And don't let culture tell you you're not supposed to be a strong spiritual leader husband and father in your home, because that's what God wants from you. That's what he calls you to be. And, and that's not mean and harsh. It's loving and, and, and supportive and guiding and that protector and shepherd of that home. And so we encourage you uh, to be who God has called you to be. And uh, you have great men around you who can comfort you, give you support and advice and counsel, pray with you and, uh, and help you in any way that you need. Also, it's important for fathers to know that you have what it takes to be that dad that you want to be, that you need to be, that spiritual father in your home. God has put that in you. You have that. And there may be some things you need to get better at, but that's part of what this fellowship of the Lord's Church is all about, to learn how to do that. So we encourage you and support you and pray for you uh, in, in your role as the father in your home and your family and those of you who are father figures to others. Uh, your time, your season has passed perhaps uh, for children in the home. You might be a great grandparent, but you also have a lot of uh, children running around here, don't you? And young, young, and teenagers and young parents. And so you can be a father figure and you make a difference as well. And we, we honor that and thank God for, for you. Do you like those spot the difference pictures, you know, they, they're in uh, dentist office magazines and all over the place. People will put them on social media. You've seen them. They've been around forever, apparently. Uh, tell the difference in this picture on our next slide. You see any differences there? Can you spot the difference? I, I found 12, by the way. Just kidding. <laughs> I made you feel real unsmart, didn't I? <laughs> Wait a second. Okay, how many did you find? All right, let's see how you did. Go to the next one. I found three. If you found more than that, then uh, Bruce Stripling's got a, a prize for you. All right. Now I've got another one. This is my favorite one. It's a little blurry, but this one is my favorite one. Can you spot the difference? 
What's the difference in that one? The sign, right? Some people call it antiques, other people call it junk. I think I've just offended some people in here. <laughs> How dare you call my antiques junk? <laughs> so, I like that one. That, that one's funny. The word discernment means, we see our, on our next slide here, the word discernment means a skill to perceive a difference. And that's what you did with those pictures, didn't you? you? You discerned, you could tell the difference between two things, right? You saw that one, that they looked alike, but there were some details that were different. And that meant that the pictures were essentially different to some degree. You were able to make a judgment based on what was different in the pictures. You discerned a difference. You, you could tell uh, this from that, couldn't you? That's what discernment is. It's making a judgment between options. It's making a, a, a discernment. A, 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 you can tell a difference between one thing and another. That's what discernment is. And the same is true for a disciple of Jesus. They, they have to be able to discern the differences between things. Christians have to be able to make a judgment. Yes, I said the word judgment between something that's right and something that's wrong. Something that's good and something that's bad. We have to be able to tell the difference between truth and error. That's part of being a Christian. You make judgments and discernments all day long every day what you're going to eat, uh, uh, where to go, what things you're going to get done at work, uh, uh, which project should be worked on, how do I approach this problem, this, this issue at work that's uh, facing me, how are we going to do these things in the home. You make decisions and discernments all day long every day. And the Christian has to be able to make uh, judgments, discernments in, in their own life about what they're going to do, how you're going to live, what you're going to believe. And so uh, morally discerning is our next section that we're looking at, this next part of a disciple of Jesus. We're looking at the anatomy of a disciple. We're breaking down the parts of a disciple and we're examining them, we're examining the body of a disciple, and we're saying, okay, what are the different parts here? What are the components? What are the, the organs and the pieces? And morally discerning is the next one that we're looking at. And it's, it also, like being sacrificially generous, it is a choice. So we're, we're talking about being morally discerning within the framework of or understanding that it is a choice that we make. Does that make sense? And so the Christian has to discern right from wrong, truth from error, uh, in order to make choices that glorify God. That's what we're talking about. Let me ask you a question. Does the Bible give us a specific answer on every single question we have? 
What about every single possible question about what is right and what is wrong? Does it give a specific spelled out answer, word for word in black and white? It doesn't, does it? Does it? And, and so we've got to decide then, okay, well, what do I do when I'm faced with something, <clears throat> a choice, a judgment to make, and there's not an exact spelled out uh, book, chapter, verse that addresses that particular issue. What do I do? How do I make a decision? Is it just left up then at that point to, well, that's a gray area. I, I just do what I want. Is that, is that the answer? <clears throat> well, the follower of Christ says, no, I need to be discerning. I need to discern truth from error. I need to make a judgment on right and wrong here. So how do I do that? Well, we go back to our core. And our core is what? That humbly submitted heart and that biblically formed mind. And that humbly submitted heart to God. In other words, it's bowing down to God. It wants to honor God. It wants to obey God. It wants to live for God. It wants to yield to God, submit to God, and be surrendered to God. And then that biblically formed mind is being educated and formed and informed and shaped and filled by God's Word. And so that heart and that mind submitted to God and formed by His Word then, now you take that engine for your spiritual growth that drives your choices that, that helps you discern. Now you can discern with that humbly submitted heart and biblically formed mind. You are able to discern right from wrong, truth from error. Why? Because the mind of Christ has been developing in you and that heart of Christ has been growing in you as you grow in, mature in, that humbly submitted heart and biblically formed mind. You're better able to make choices that glorify God. You're better able to be morally discerning. Morally meaning right and wrong, truth and error, good and bad. And the more your heart is humbly submitted to God, the more your mind is biblically formed, the more you're able to discern truth from error, to be morally discerning. The world is constantly telling us there is no truth. Truth is whatever you say truth is. Pilate asked, remember in John 18, what is truth? Remember that? So this question of what is truth has been around for ages. Philosophers have written volumes on it. It's been talked about and thought about and taught about for ages and ages. What is truth? Is there truth? And how do we know what is true? And so we have to be able to discern what truth is because culture will tell you truth is whatever you decide truth is. And, and, and as long as you call it your truth, then that makes it by default true. If it's true to you and you want to believe it, then it's true. Well, I wish I could walk up to the gas pump and say, that ain't true, don't you? 
Because then that would make it not true. And I could set my own truth at the gas pump. Well, folks, guess what? It don't work that way. Reality doesn't work that way. In reality, you have to make choices every day, don't you? You have to discern this from that every day. So there is truth. And the Christian's job, the the disciple of Christ has to come to the world and be morally discerning to be able to uh, say right from wrong, discern right from wrong. Now, it might be in your actions that you have to make a decision about what's right and what's wrong. It might be in your thoughts. Is this the right kind of thought? Because that's probably going to end up uh, uh, coming out in my actions. What's the right kind of thought here? Is my thought wrong or is it right? It might be in, in a, a behavior that you have, or it could be, as we've been talking about, in your beliefs. You've got to discern truth from error in your beliefs. Is this belief I have, is it actually true, or do I just believe it to be true? How did I come to the conclusion that this belief is true? Where did I get that from? Did I really examine that belief or did I just get that belief from culture, from society, from a friend, uh, from what uh, this book says, from what this influencer says, from what that social media post said, from what this source said. So, So you have to decide what sources am I listening to? Who are the sources of authority in my life? That's what you've got to ask. It's a question of Who are the sources of authority in my life? Because the sources that I look at, the sources that that I allow to tell me uh, what I should believe and use their information to base my beliefs upon, I am granting them authority into my life, aren't I? And and there's all kinds of different uh, authorities, some more legitimate than others, aren't there? But it's a question of authority, sometimes even ourself. Uh, we just say that we're the authority on a thing, and I, I just believe it, and therefore it's got to be right. It seems like that ought to be the case. <clears throat> so we've got to ask ourselves, where do we get our beliefs from? Am I being morally discerning in my thoughts, in my actions, in my feelings, and also in my beliefs? So look at this. For the disciple of Jesus, the Bible is the fundamental, the foundation, it is the source of authority on right and wrong, truth and error, good and bad. Okay? The Bible is. Because if I don't get that, then I can't have a humbly submitted heart. I can't have a biblically formed mind. And so my beliefs are going to be out of whack when it comes to morality and what is right and what is wrong. And it's going to shift just like culture does. And, and, And if I don't see that the Bible is my foundation and my ultimate source of truth and error and what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, then then I'm I'm like that person out in the ocean, tossed to and fro by the waves, back and forth, wherever the waves take me, the waves of what? Culture. Whatever culture is the soup that you swim in. You swim in culture. You can't get out of it. It's in the pool and you can't get out. 
Okay? And, and so, so you've got to be anchored. You need an anchor, and the Word of God is your anchor. Well, if you don't have that, then you're just floating around wherever the waves and the wind take you. And, and, and then so that means you're going to believe whatever is common. And, and you know, whatever is the common belief... That becomes normal. What's common is normal. And so if most people tend to believe that, then that just, I guess it's right then. And you never thought, you never analyzed that belief. You, you never really critiqued and examined that belief. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Paul writes, but as for you, he's writing to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from, a child, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, talking about scripture, which are able to make you what? Wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Just stop right there. The word of God is breathed out by God. It's God breathed. The word in the Greek there did not exist until the Holy Spirit by God directed Paul to write that word. It was a new word when he wrote that word in the original Greek. This God breathed that it was literally breathed out by God is what the word of God is. It is his word uh, and, and, and authors were directed by God through the Holy Spirit to record the words. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. So, so the Bible isn't just a history book. The Bible isn't there to go and, and, and be bored by or to be uh, just, just learn facts about. It is God's breathed out word and it is profitable. For what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It's everything you need to know how I ought to live my life. And what's right and wrong. And how do I discern truth and error. What is good and what is bad. And verse 17, that the man of God, the Christian, but he's writing to Timothy, the evangelist, may be what? Complete. Equipped for every good work. So, so the word of God in my heart, in my mind, equips me to live a life of a disciple of Jesus. And it enables me to be morally discerning in my choices. You see, God's word uh, also reveals God. His own word reveals himself to us. So the more I know his word and the more my mind is biblically formed, then the more I know God, the, more, the closer I am to God, the more my heart uh, uh, surrenders to him, and therefore the more morally discerning I become. So I can't have that unless I'm doing this over here, this work over here. So it's through God's word from which we form our core beliefs about right and wrong. Jesus gave us a guide for making choices in our lives in Matthew chapter 6. Look at Matthew chapter 6. He said, there's so many things that you worry about in life. We worry about how all kinds of things are going to work out. Uh, what are we going to do? How, how's, how are we going to fix this? And every day is, is new stuff to worry about. And he says, he says in Matthew 6, what are you worried about? Your heavenly Father 
knows everything that you need. So look at this next slide, Matthew 6, 33. And here's what Jesus said to them. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things that you're so worried about will be added unto you, uh, unto you. That doesn't mean you're going to live in a palace with butlers and, and, and they're going to feed you grapes by your pool. That, that's not what Jesus is saying there. That, that would be nice. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, God takes care of you. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it through what you're going through. Sometimes it'll be easy. Sometimes it'll be hard. But, but God is with you and don't worry about those things. What you ought to be worried about is seeking first God, His kingdom, His righteousness. And I got the rest, God says. You, you focus on, on, on seeking me and my kingdom, doing the will of God, being a disciple, a follower, a learner of Christ. His kingdom and His righteousness, when we put it first, it also reveals to us the right decision to make. Why is that? It's because it helps us know, because we've got that humbly submitted heart, biblically formed mind, we're seeking first God and His kingdom, His righteousness, His glory, and that reveals to us, well, that's the choice I ought to make. My body feels like doing this, but which choice is going to allow me to glorify God? Oh, well, that's my answer then. If I do this, will this glorify God? Oh, it won't? Okay, well then I better, I better go do this. Does that make sense? So, so if I go here, if I'm, if I'm doing these things, if I'm participating in these activities or, or, or having those thoughts, are, are those things glorifying God? Is that, is that me seeking God and His righteousness and His kingdom? Or is it what my flesh wants, what my feelings want, what my friends want to do, what, what I just want to do, I just want to break from this God stuff? Is, is that what that is? Yeah, that's what that is. And that's serving yourself, which ultimately... If you opened the door back there, you'd see Satan behind there, right? Because that's what he wants. Anything he can do to get us pulled away from God. And you think it's just what you feel like doing. That, there's more going on than, than that. And so, and so God says, you seek me over here. And that will reveal the choice you need to make. The one that glorifies God. Sometimes making the right decision goes against what people close to you agree with. Maybe even your family and your closest friends. And it gets hard when you're in that situation, doesn't it? Many of you have probably had to make choices like that in your life. Jesus dealt with that too. See, Jesus understands what you're dealing with when, when you've had to stand for what's right and you've had, to, you've had to hang in there and be solid in your faith even when... Even family members, maybe a spouse, maybe uh, close friends, well, they didn't agree. They didn't like it. You, you've gone too far. Uh, or maybe you're faced with that and you're, you're waffling back and forth, but Jesus dealt with the same thing. One time early in his ministry, uh, he was preaching and teaching. He was at a house. Some translation says his house, say his house, but it, it was a, a house. Uh, and a crowd gathered inside the house. The crowd was so big inside the house that him and his disciples couldn't even eat. 
That's how crowded it was in their house. And, and so somebody, somebody uh, uh, went out and told his family, Jesus' family, what was going on. And look at Mark 3.21. So his family says they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Now, not every translation translates family, but the, you look at the original Greek word, and most translations say family, so we don't yet know exactly who that is. But his, someone went and told his family, look, you got to come get Jesus. He's, I don't know what, he, he's gone too far. He, he's, he's, I don't, he, you should hear what he's teaching. I can't believe you got to come get him. So his family leaves to go get Jesus because, look, you, okay, you can, you know, they, they weren't total believers yet. And so it's something we don't look at very often. It's kind of unfamiliar to us. But his own family didn't always believe in him, at least fully. Okay, John tells us later that his brothers did. And of course, we know his mother uh, loved him, was there with him, and God uh, communicated with her early on. And then she was there uh, uh, at the cross. But at this particular time, uh, there was some doubt on their end at least, okay? And so maybe they think thought he was taking stuff too far, drawing too much attention on him and the family that they weren't comfortable with. We don't know. But by the time we get to thir- verse 31 through 35, Mark tells us this. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. So they got there, his mother and brothers, and they sent word inside the house, because remember, they couldn't get in the house to talk to Jesus to get him out. Verse 32, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Whoa, that's a tough thing for him to say. And look at verse 34. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, and I think one one of the Gospels even said he pointed at his disciples, And he said, here are my mother and my brothers. And then what did he say in verse 35? For everyone who does the will of God are my mother and my brothers. He he didn't say, hate your mama. He didn't say, disown your daddy. That's not what Jesus said. But he said he was all about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Whether his physical family was on board or not, he's, and you know that, would, that broke his heart, but he said, I've got to be about my father's business, like we talked about in Bible class this morning. And, and so he said, my mother and my, fa- my brothers are the ones who do the will of God. And so, so you might not always be in popular company, even among your own family or closest friends, when you decide, I'm going to choose to live God's, according to God's word, even when they don't. It doesn't mean you don't love them, you don't care for them, but that's the same thing Jesus was teaching in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You may love mama's cooking, but it doesn't mean she's right about everything on, about God, does it? And your, your dad taught you to do some things, uh, hunt and fish and fix stuff and throw a ball. And, 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 and he's a good guy. And he loves God too, perhaps. But that doesn't mean he's right on every single thing. And so here's what I'm saying about beliefs. I'm not saying rebel against your parents. I'm not promoting anarchy. Don't worry. It's Father's Day. We, we can do that next week, not today. But, 
But what I am saying is that your family may not always agree with what the Word of God teaches. You're close friends. And so you individually are responsible for examining the Word of God, being biblically formed, and making sure your beliefs are based on the Word of God. Does that make sense? So I have to answer before God for my beliefs, for my actions and thoughts. I need to go to the source. That's what I'm trying to emphasize. And regardless of what other people say and believe and want, I have to ground them in the word of God and live according to that. Now, how do I become more dis- morally more morally discerning. Is that something I can grow in? Can I get better at that? Well, we've already shown that you can by uh, uh, having a more humbly submitted heart. That's spiritual growth uh, and developing in that area, biblically formed mind, and that naturally leads to being more morally discerning. But I want to point something out in Hebrews. And let's just look at Hebrews uh, verse 14, chapter 5. Uh, For the sake of time, you can read the whole passage there, but But I'll pick up uh, in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, the author writes. Look at verse 13 of Hebrews 5. For everyone who lives on milk is what? Unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Now, if you're a younger person, Or if you're a new Christian, that's okay to be unskilled in the Word of God because you just hadn't had enough time yet to develop that, okay? But this author is writing to Christians who that didn't describe them. They should have been past that by now. And, And so he's saying you shouldn't be living on milk anymore, but you're unskilled in the Word of righteousness and therefore childlike in your faith. In in terms of immaturity is what he means. But look at verse number 14. But solid food, the meat of the word, the solid food is for the who? Mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish, that's discern, good from evil. Do you see that in verse 14? So, so... Who does the Bible say is mature? Those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to discern good from evil. That's who the mature Christian is. Well, how do you get that way? By constant practice. So that's being morally discerning. A person who's growing in their skill, sharpening their skill to be morally discerning. That's describing a person who's developed that skill to detect and discern right from wrong, truth from error, good from bad. So how do you develop this power of discernment? See, the Christian, the follower of Christ, the learner of Christ, you didn't know this, but you got some powers. You thought that was just in the Avengers movies, that they have powers. No, no, no. The Christian has some powers too. And your powers are the powers of discernment to make decisions about what's right and wrong, good and evil, truth and error. So verse 13 is where we see it. You've got to get skilled in the Word of God. 
Well, we already know how to do that, don't we? I've got to get biblically formed in my mind. So I have to be in the Word. And that's why I put up here, you've got to put in the time and effort. It, it just doesn't happen by itself. You've got to put in the time and effort. It is that simple. You do that in everything else that you do, don't you? That sport you like, that hobby you like, that thing you're interested in. You, you know, uh, at Oldham Lane, we talked about, we always joked about doing a, a sports trivia game night where we did brackets and everything. And uh, because we had, one of our members was the sports Guy, the news guy for sports on, on one of the local news channels. And then our, our preacher, Chris, I know he was going to win. I know it without a doubt he was going to be the top uh, guy winning when it comes to sports trivia because he's a sports nut. And we had several there at Oldham Lane. I mean, they, you talk about any team, any sport, any fact, and he knows it. How to play the game, anything. And I always thought that'd be entertaining to sit back and watch. Uh, because they understood all that. They had all that knowledge. Well, how? They're paying attention to it. They give time to it. And you do that in your sport and in your job and whatever skill you develop, you put in plain old time and effort, don't you? Well, that's how you get skilled in the Word of God, time and effort. It takes time and effort. And, and that's how you mature in the Word of God. And when you do that, the Bible says, your powers of discernment are trained because then you can, you're better able to go into those gray areas where it's not exactly spelled out, but you know what? You can turn to the Proverbs on wisdom, or you can go to where Paul writes about something else, or you can see this, this lifestyle that James or Peter writes about, or you look at the life of Christ and how he thought and how he talked and how he lived, and you realize that, that ain't something I need to be doing. I need to be doing this kind of thing over here. Because your powers of discernment are trained by the Word of God. And the Bible says in verse 14, by constant practice. You're going to mess up and make some bad choices. And the Christian has access to forgiveness, don't they, through the blood of Christ. But, but you shouldn't be making the same uh, uh, mistake every time because you need that humbly submitted heart biblically formed mind to make better and better decisions to be morally discerning and new things come up all the time don't they we hear all of a sudden it's this subject that now we have to discern truth from error on that's in popular culture and now we got it we never thought we had to think about that or know about that thing and all of a sudden now that seems to be the common belief and that's okay and if you believe differently then you better watch out because you're not going to be very popular. You're going to get blasted. You're going to get canceled. You're going to get hated on. But the Christian says, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want you to know you can make the right choice even when others don't agree. You can. And that's what we see in the life of Jesus as well. Uh, finally, look at 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Paul, again, talking to Timothy, young preacher, and what does he write to him? Rather, train yourself for what? Godliness. Train yourself for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You can be as buff and in shape as you want to be, and that's fine. Have at it. That's, that's a good thing. 
But, but if you don't have training in godliness, if you're not training yourself spiritually, growing as a disciple, maturing as a Christian, then the Bible says if you're not training in godliness, then you just may not have that training for eternal life. You may not see eternal life in heaven. Now, we're not talking about works-based faith and earning anything because, you, know, you, you know, you can't, no matter what you do, you can't do that. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ, and, and that doesn't exclude baptism. That's a part of it. But you've got to be growing as a Christian. God expects us to make right choices in life. You can't just be, become a Christian and then live however you want. You've got to make right choices and do right things and live for God and seek first the kingdom of God. And Paul writes that we need to train ourselves for godliness, that it has benefit even in eternal life. Are you training yourself for godliness? You training yourself for eternal life? Preparing yourself for eternal life instead of living just for this life? But you're living, uh, as one uh, sermon says, homesick for heaven. That's your home, and that's where you are preparing to go and be, and you're living your life accordingly. Are you developing your skill of being morally discerning? That's what we want to encourage you in this morning. And, you know, that's a choice that you make, and that choice starts with putting Christ first in your life putting on Christ in baptism so that you're united with Christ, so that your uh, sins are washed away by His blood, and, and, and then you have a home in heaven with Him. Is that a choice you need to make this morning? Maybe your choice needs to be, I've I, I got to get this right. I, I hadn't been doing it right. I, I need your prayers. I need your comfort and your encouragement. Whatever your need is, we're here for you this morning. We invite you to come as we stand and sing.